0: Men, may have a seat. Well, some of you were not present here last week, so I think a a quick recap of what we considered last week uh, is in order, Um, because this is, uh, let's say, a a three-part section, or three-part sermon. We saw last week that Corinth, as we... Consider Paul coming to Corinth, that Corinth is a city of great vices. You could call Corinth a city of vice, a center of immorality. How from top to bottom, it was a city filled with sin. That in fact, you, if you wanted to, uh, if, you, if you called someone a, a Corinthian, you would ca- were calling someone a drunkard, a, a lasci- lascivious, a immoral person. And we consider as Paul comes to Corinth, the trouble that he was going to face, not only because he was coming to this sin filled city, but because he was in himself uh, of himself in quite a difficult situation. He was discouraged. he later wrote to the to the to the Corinthians this same the church that is planted. Uh, that was planted in this uh, in this portion of our text in in acts eighteen, he writes to them that he came to the Corinthians with fear and with much trembling as he writes to the Thessalonians from this uh, joint uh, the juncture uh, junction in, in in his ministry, he writes to them that he was very much troubled that his only encouragement was to hear that actually the Thessalonians were growing in their faith. He was weary. He was discouraged. He was tired. He was perhaps even physically ill as we know that he struggled with his physical health as well. So he's in this most difficult time of his life. He's in this most difficult city. He's a depressed man. He's heart pressed on every side as he says and yet he knew he knew that in every city in every place where the Lord had placed him the Lord had a ministry for him but we see that he needed to be encouraged and just as an aside as a parenthesis here do you find yourself needing to be needing to be encouraged I often do. I often have the necessity and the need and the lack of encouragement. And I need God to come in and encourage me. And I know that is true of most of us, if not all of us. Before we can really pursue those things that God has called us to do, we often need that push, that push that God himself uh, sends our way. And we saw last week didn't we that God was encouraging Paul first by sending some friendship some companions new ones uh, Acul and Priscilla to a couple that became so influential and so uh, dear and, and uh, to Paul in the rest of his ministry and we saw how Paul uh, well, how God also sent uh, Silas and Timothy back to to him to Paul and how the offering that was raised from Philippi uh, brought much encouragement and, and relief as well so that Paul started to preach uh, more often we saw how God encouraged Paul with friendship and we saw how God encouraged Paul with conversions as he preached in the synagogue and they blasphemed uh Yet, you might think that he became discouraged. No, there was encouragement there. God gave him fruits of his, the fruit of his ministry. We read towards the end in verse 8, that's where we left off last week, that Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So you see, Paul was discouraged. And let me just dwell on that a little bit more i know i already did it last week but consider consider the last the last few months of paul's life and ministry consider the second missionary journey the bigger context of what we have here Uh, Acts 18 is towards the end of paul's second missionary journey but consider the whole thing from the start he starts, uh, he finishes the first missionary journey. He is encouraged, although there was uh, persecution and opposition, there were fruits and they return to Antioch and they're rejoicing and they tell the news and immediately they're so encouraged that they want to go back again to the field. And as even, even before he started the second missionary journey, consider what happened. We read that, don't we? Paul and Barnabas, these two great friends, closely knit together as they are uh, fleshing out the details of the, secondary mission, the second missionary journey, they come to a sharp, horrible disagreement. They cannot agree on what to do with John Mark. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, ever wanting to be an encouragement to John Mark, he wants to bring him along. But Paul, because he understands that uh, John Mark perhaps is not in the, in the right place yet, doesn't want John Mark to come given the history of John Mark, of abandoning them when it really mattered. So they, they, they have this sharp disagreement and they separate. And, and, but yet God encourages Paul and he gives him Silas. He gives him Silas to be his companion. And they are led by the, by the Spirit to go back to those churches that they had planted in the first missionary journey. And they, they encourage them. And even as they do so, as Paul gets to Galatia, another one gets added to them. Timothy, a young man, a timid young man, but nonetheless a, 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 a zealous, smart young man to, to come and help them. And as they are led uh, to, the, to the edge of Macedonia, of Europe, as they are in Troas, God sends them a, a, a vision that they should go to the other side. And at this time, Luke is added as well to the team. So they're a team of four. They cross over to Europe and as they get to Philippi, they, they have conversions. They, Lydia gets converted. What an encouragement. The first time, the first Sabbath, they come to the, to the, to the first city and, the, and they have their first convert. But immediately, immediately, trouble began. Satan began to attack Persecution arose and Paul and Silas find themselves in the dungeon tied to the, to the to the stocks but even there God sends a miraculous earthquake and they get released and they go to Thessalonica and in Thessalonica they preach and God blessed them and they, some were saved but then again persecution arose this time among the the Jews angry Jews, jealous Jews they started a riot and they had to flee for their lives they fled to Berea and Paul gets to Berea and what an encouragement he gets to Berea and the the people there uh, receive the word of God with all readiness and after a few days the Jews from Thessalonica come and they start making trouble And Paul has to flee from Berea to Athens. They get to Athens. Paul is there alone. He preaches. He preaches a brilliant sermon in the Areopagus. And we are told that some got saved, but only a few. So Paul moves on. Corinth called them to come to Corinth. So by the time that Paul arrives in Corinth, I want you to try and imagine how it felt for him being chased halfway around the world, the known world, tired, discouraged, disheartened, wearied, depressed. So that by the time that Paul arrives here, he is very much in need of being encouraged because he is facing a formidable enemy Yes, he's in a city of sin, but at the same time, he has this this situation within him. And before he can even begin to do anything, God has to step in and encourage him. His spirit is sunken. His spirit is depressed, and God has to come in and lift his spirit up. So he sends friends. He sends friends conversions what a great thing let me just pause here and just consider with you what a great thing that God is a God of encouragement that God is is a God who supplies our needs as we looked uh, last week that he supplies our every need and if, if we are in need of being comforted and encouraged God will supply that encouragement and comfort We all need to be encouraged from time to time, don't we? We get sunken down in our spirits, perhaps mo- some more than others. Some of us have, to, have had to deal with depressive uh, um, frames uh, of mind for, for many years, anxious frames of mind for many years. And we have a need to God, for God to come in and to, to teach us afresh those precious truths. And God does so. I remember here the words of our Lord Jesus when he was about to to embark on his journey to the cross and he's speaking to the disciples perhaps for the last time and now perhaps he's speaking to the disciples for the last time what does he say to them? let not your heart be troubled isn't that the encouragement that they needed and they didn't even realize it at the time you believe in God, believe also in me my father's house in my father's house there is many abodes and in that in the process of that discourse it's such a wonderful discourse from John 14 to John uh, 16 17 he tells them look you're going to see many things I'm going to go away but I will return I need to go But I go so that your joy may be complete. And yes, you will be sorrowful. At some point in John 16, He says, look, your sorrow, the sorrow you will feel in a couple of days' time, your sorrow will be turned to joy. Isn't that the encouragement that they need at that moment? God telling them, Christ telling them, look, you're going to go through this situation. But do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Your joy will come. Your sorrow, your tears will be turned into joy. Oh, there are. There are times of discouragement in our lives, aren't there? And it's not because you're, you're less faithful. It's not because you're, you're less of a Christian. It's not because you've sinned. There are times of discouragement. There are times of sorrow. Paul did not sin. Paul was doing God's will. And in doing God's will. These kind of things came to him. But those discouraging times that come, those sorrowful times that come, they come to teach us the lesson, to trust God. To wait on him. You know, don't you? The prophets from the Old Testament... Oh, they were well acquainted with, with, uh, with discouragement. In fact, two of them, when they, they were about to embark on their ministry of being prophets, as God is calling them to, to be prophets, God actually tells them, Look, by the way, your ministry will be heard by no one, or by almost no one. You will preach, you will prophesy, and no one will pay attention to you. Your ministry is one of uh, of bringing conviction of sin. I want you to spend. God says to them, "I want you to spend your whole life as a prophet, and no one will listen to you. No one will listen to anything you'll ever say." That's a rough call. That's a, a very difficult call to receive from God. And at times they were discouraged. Isaiah at times had to be reminded of God's presence. And some of the, the, the most beautiful language in the Old Testament about God's nearness, about God's presence is found in those moments when Isaiah, when Jeremiah, those two prophets in particular that were called to a ministry of, of no one listening to them. Some of the most sweet Promises of Scripture are found in those moments. Isaiah 43, isn't it? That wonderful passage where God says, I'm the one who created you, I'm the one who formed you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name, you are mine. Isn't that an encouragement to a discouraged heart? God is saying, fear not, I'm with you. You're mine, you're mine. I will be with you. When you go through the rivers, God says, it will not overflow you. When you go through the fire, it will not burn you. For you are mine. Let that sink in. God encourages Isaiah and the, and the, and the remnants in Isaiah's day by saying, Fear not, I am with you. Although these, all of these things might seem discouraging, although your circumstances might seem to be completely and utterly irreparable, you're mine. I am your posse- you're my possession. I'm your Savior. Oh, the book of Jeremiah. There is a book called The, the, the Lamentations of Jeremiah. He is known as the Weeping Prophet. As he looked into the situation, as he prophesied and and preached repentance uh, towards God, and people did not listen, he only cried and cried because he knew what was coming, and he saw it. What does it say in Lamentations? Let's turn. Turn there with me. I think it's a wonderful passage before we we move forward a little bit. Lamentations chapter 3. This is the weepings of a prophet who's been called to a discouraging ministry. I'm in Jeremiah. And the pastor, yeah, here we go. Lamentations chapter 3. Let's read from verse 17. Look at what he says. Here's uh, a, a picture of a discouraged, depressed man. You have moved my soul far from peace. Verse 17. I have forgotten prosperity. And I said, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Remember my affliction and roaming, the wormwood and the gall, My soul still remembers and seeks within me. Here's a picture of a man who is completely and utterly wearied, tired, discouraged, depressed. I have lost my peace, he says. I've forgotten. Have you ever felt like that? I've forgotten what it used to be when I had peace in my soul. It's been so many years now. I forgot what it means to have good and happy times. But he says, but this I recall to mind. This memory I remember. I trickles down and and therefore I have hope. Listen to what he says. Though the Lord's mercies through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke. In his youth. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, because his compassions they fail not. He is a God of faithfulness, he is a God of comfort, he is a God of encouragement. Are we told by Paul himself that he is the Father of mercies, the God of all comforts? Is that a lie? He will not break a bruised wreath. It is said of Jesus, uh, a smoking flax he will not quench. He will not break you. He will not quench you. If you are his, he will comfort you. He will lead you gently. Because he's meek and gentle in heart. So this is the God that we are talking about. This is the God we are considering when we consider Paul's need for encouragement. This is the God we serve. So yes, do you feel the need to be encouraged? Come to Christ. Come to Him. Do you feel a need to be lifted up? It's in Him that you will... It's only in Him that you will find the joy and the peace that you are seeking. And he will encourage. So here's Paul. back to the sermon. Sorry. Here's Paul. Here's him, discouraged, heavy-laden, tired, depressed. And Paul comes in to encourage him. And Paul, now when God comes in to encourage Paul with friendship, with conversions and now with himself god comes in and says it's my fellowship that you need it's my presence that you need and i will come in and i will encouragement encourage you yes you need friends and i've sent you friends yes you need converts and fruit of your ministry i've sent you that but now it's my presence that you need and he comes in and he he gives him two commands and he gives him three reasons I told you, haven't I, in, a, in a, at the beginning of this series all the way two years ago, and I hope you still remember that this book is not the, the acts of the apostles. This book is the acts of the risen Christ. Here's the king, the risen Christ. He ascended into heaven, he co- and he's ruling from heaven by his spirit. And now, as his kingdom is expanding in Corinth, now the king comes down, visits his herald, visits his apostle, and encourages him and says do not be afraid carry on working do not hold your peace but speak here's Christ himself coming in giving two commands and giving three reasons for him to continue so the, f- the first command is do not be afraid do not be afraid peace is what's being offered peace is what's being offered here And how many times these words do not be afraid, fear not appear in the Bible. How many times we find that there is a need for Christ, for God to come in and say, do not be afraid. And I tell you, no time that God comes in and says, do not be afraid because he does not waste his promises are times where people were not afraid. If God is coming, if Christ is coming to Paul and saying, do not be afraid, it's because he was afraid. He was fearful. Oh how many times God said it to Joshua, God said it to Elijah, God said it to Elisha, to, to Jeremiah, to Isaiah. He, Jesus said it to the, to his disciples in the middle of the storm in the Sea of Galilee. Christ said it to the women, women in, in the tomb as they come in, fear not. He said it to Simon Peter. He said it a few times to Paul. I'm convinced that Paul, although he was this giant of the faith, he was actually someone who was quite propensed to being anxious. How often Christ has to come to Paul and say to him, Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I am with you. Do not be afraid. I'm here. My peace is with you. I'm by your side. I govern all things. And I'm with you. I hope you won't mind if I quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. That old saint. Here's someone who struggled with depression. His whole life. Lest you think that a good Christian. A proper Christian doesn't suffer from those things. Here's someone who who fought against depression his whole life. And I say fought. I don't say he resonated himself to it, but he fought against it. Here's what he says in Nahum, as he's preaching from Nahum 1, verse 3. He says, You will often hear two Christians talk One of them will say, Oh, my troubles and trials and sorrows, they are so great. I can hardly sustain them. I don't know how to bear my afflictions from day to day. And the other Christian says, Ah, my troubles and trials are not less severe. But nevertheless, they have been less than nothing. I can laugh at impossibilities and say they will be done. What is the cause of the difference between these men, you might ask? The secret is that one of them carried his troubles and the other did not. The difference is that one was burdened by his troubles was carried them alone and the other did not. The secret is that one unloaded his burden and the other did not. Spurgeon goes on to say, So one man bears his troubles himself and gets his back nearly broken, but the other casts his troubles on the Lord. Uh, it doesn't matter how heavy troubles are if you can cast them on the Lord. The heavier they are, so much better. For the more you have gotten rid of, then the more there is laid upon the rock of our salvation. Never be afraid of troubles, however heavy they are. God's eternal shoulders can bear them. He whose omnipotence is testified by the revolving planets and systems of enormous galaxies can well sustain you. Is his arm too short that he cannot save? Or is he weary that he cannot hold you tightly? Your troubles are nothing to God, for the very clouds are the dust of his feet. And, by, and, and this is coming not from someone who had all the, the, the things figured out in his life not from someone who, was, uh, who did not struggle uh, often this is coming from someone who is often very very troubled he says cast them on the Lord cast those anxieties he is able to bear the burden of your weight because he's able to bear the the weights of the universe will he not be able to bear, to bear you and bear your burden this is the God that comes to Paul and says do not be afraid do not be afraid do not be afraid and he persuades them he gives them peace and he persuades them don't stop do not keep silent speak, Do not keep silence. In addition to tell him not to be afraid, he tells him, go on. I'm I'm persuaded here that Paul was indeed tempted to stop. I'm persuaded here if if Christ had to come and tell him do not stop, that actually Paul was being in his heart persuaded and tempted to stop what he was doing. Perhaps he was tempted to stop his second missionary journey right now go back to Antioch, enjoy the fruits of his ministry, or enjoy what he, what he has gained, and, and maybe perhaps uh, spend some more time with, uh, with friends, and, and secure and safe from persecution. Perhaps his temptation was that he was so tired of being beaten, and, and imprisoned, and persecuted, that he was tempted, I'm just going to hold my peace, I'm going to keep quiet, because I, I, I cannot bear, any, bear it anymore he was tempted to stop and Paul God says to Paul and I love this do not stop continue continue for I myself I am with you so this is the first reason why he is to to, to not be afraid and why he is not to stop it's God's presence Paul says or God says to Paul I am with you I am with you how many times do we see this in the in the in the bible don't we God's coming in and saying I'm with you to strengthen you or how many times we see that actually the presence of God was uh, what shifted the pendulum as Joseph is in sold to slavery as Joseph is sent into, into those dungeons, into that prison as Joseph is struggling, first of all as a slave and, second, and then as a, a prisoner what is the recurring motif, what is the, the, the constant note that is being run he prospered there, why? because God was with him, because God was with him because the Lord was by his side And similarly, it is the the testimony of the Old Testament. You see the people of God uh, persevering in battle because God is with them. And whenever God withdraws His presence, whenever God hides Himself, hides His face, or hides His smile, as the, the, the Old Testament puts it, they struggle. Isn't that the promise in Isaiah 43? fear not when you pass through the waters uh, they will not uh, uh, over, overrun you when you will overwhelm you when, when you go through the through the fire you will not be burned They will, will not consume you why, why why is it that you will not be consumed because I'm with you you might say, Oh, I wish that, that, that God had promised me the same thing that He promised Paul here. Oh, I wish that I would have a vision and, and, and be told that, that, that God is with me. He has told you. If you're His, He has said, Lo, I am, behold, I am with you. Always. Always. You're reassured of His presence. You don't need visions. Visions can be misinterpreted. You can think that a vision is from the Lord when it actually isn't. You know what cannot be misinterpreted? The promises of God's word. They're infallible. And he said, if you're his, Lord, I'm, I'm with you always. What a promise. What is one of Christ's name? Emmanuel. What is the meaning of Emmanuel? God with us. God says fear not for I am with you be not dismayed for I am your God I will strengthen you I will help you I will uphold you with my right hand of righteousness he says this to Isaiah to Jeremiah he says prepare yourself arise and speak unto them what I command you be not dismayed at of, of, of their faces. They're going to frown at you. They're going to they're gonna oppose you. They're going to they're gonna persecute you. But be not dismayed. Don't let it bother you. For behold, I have made you a fortified city. An iron pillar, a bronze wall. So he says to Paul, don't stop. I am with you. His presence and his preservation as well. The second thing we find uh, as, as the second reason uh, we find for him to be at peace and for him to to be, uh, to be um, persuaded not to stop. First is God's presence and secondly is God's preservation. He says to him, "No man, no one will attack you to hurt you. No man. Will bring any harm to you. What a consolation for Paul. Corinth would mean more trouble. And I think that's why Paul was perhaps considering not uh, preaching at Corinth. That's perhaps why Paul was considering to move on somewhere else. Because Corinth would bring pr- trouble. And did bring trouble. We call it, be like Philippi. With, his, with its prison. Lystra. You remember what happened in Lystra to Paul and, and to Barnabas? Paul was beaten. in Within an inch of his life. In fact some commentators even believe that he died. And was resurrected there. It's... And here God comes. And says to Paul. No actually no one will attack you to hurt you. You have nothing to fear. No one's going to touch you. Isn't that what God promises throughout His scripture as well? No one's going to hurt you. No one's going to prosper. Isaiah 54:17 uh, says, "No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper." and every tongue that uh, has arisen against you in judgment you will condemn Paul is saying you will be safe why? why is Paul going to be safe? because of God's promise number three and lastly he says don't stop do not be afraid for I am with you no one will attack you and he makes a promise to him don't stop preaching because I have many people in this city this sin filled city of Corinth if I were to call if you were to live in those days and if you were to call oh that she's a Corinthian girl say of a lady say of a girl you say she's a Corinthian girl you are calling her a prostitute that's how bad Corinth was in the days of, of Paul. The verb to, Corinth, to Corinthianize is the, is the verb that means to, to act uh, immorally. The Corinthian, in, in, uh, in the plays of, uh, of the Greeks, in the theaters, uh, the, the Corinthian was always uh, portrayed as a drunkard, lascivious, immoral, depraved individual that's the city where Paul is a cesspool of sin and it's in this city and not any of the others that God comes in and says I have many people in this city I have many treasures in this city I have many pearls in this city so Paul you have to go in dive into that cesspool and fetch them for me fetch them Isn't that a wonderful picture of God's grace? And I have to say, because I realize some of us here, and perhaps people listening, we come from different backgrounds of Christianity. We come from different uh, strains of theological persuasions. The word of God here says that God predestined some in that city to be saved I have many people in this city what is being said there's people here there is people here that have predestined for salvation there are people here that have chosen from eternity past you cannot just simply go Paul you need to reach them you need to to get them There are still people out there, Paul, in Corinth, that are mine. You need to get them. And this is not to diminish human responsibility as we looked last week. Paul lays the burden of their unbelief firmly on the on the on the blaspheming lips of the Jews in the synagogue. Your blood be upon your heads, I'm clean. You're Gentiles to me. Remember when he shaked off the dust of his garment? He says, "I'm clean of your dust. Uh, you're Gentiles to me now. Uh, you're you you unbelievers. You're not you're not. I'm clean of your of the blood of your blood. I preach to you." You see, but this is the reason why we evangelize. This is the reason why we go out on the street and preach the gospel. This is the reason why we knock on doors. This is the reason why we tell of Christ uh, to our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers. Because otherwise we would be doomed to fail. But this promise and promises like this in scripture are the reason why we do what we do. Because otherwise our evangelism, our, our, our outreach, our preaching the gospel would certainly fail. Would be pointless. But it's the sovereignty of God in, 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 in knowing that God has elected, that God is sovereign and that God is omnipotent and powerful to change the heart that we go on and preach. Far, far from being the reason why we become lazy and lackadaisical with our outreach, it should be the reason why we go out more often, why we trust more often. So far, G.I. Packer says, uh, I would unusually quote from him, but this one book is a, a great precious book that he's written. Perhaps on this subject, it is the best book I ever read. He says, so far from making evangelism pointless, the sovereignty of God in grace is the one thing that prevents evangelism from being pointless. For it creates the possibility, indeed the certainty, that evangelism will be fruitful. Apart from it, there is not even a possibility of evangelism being fruitful. Were it not for the sovereignty of grace, of the uh, sovereign grace of God, evangelism would be m- the most futile and useless enterprise that the world has ever seen, and there would be no more complete, there would be no more complete waste of time. I don't know how I put this here, but there would be no more complete waste of time under the sun than to preach the Christian gospel. Parker's point here is that if. If we were not to believe that God is sovereign and has elected, then there is no point. We cannot change people's hearts. I cannot change anyone's heart. He needs to be God by his spirit, opening the heart as we read when when Paul was at Philippi, opening the heart of Lydia. So you may ask me, do you believe in election? Yes. The Bible teaches it clearly. How else would you explain this verse? So you believe that God chooses people to be saved? Yes, of course. I wouldn't have believed if God hadn't chosen me first. If God hadn't loved me first, as he says. We love because he loved us first, right? I wouldn't have loved him. I wouldn't have chosen him. We are chosen before the foundation of the world. That's what it says in Revelation thirteen eight. Written in the Lamb, in the Lamb's book of life, before the foundation of the world. And you may ask, what about human responsibility? Well, it's there. Yes, but doesn't that make us make human beings irresponsible then, or there's no accountability if 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 God chooses them? What what does that make of, uh, of, of responsibility? Well what I say is that those two things in scripture are held together and they never quarrel and they never fight that's exactly what we see in verse 6 your blood be upon your own heads I am clean you might say but those two don't go together but in scripture they do what we need to realize is that we, our, our minds are, are finite and we are not able to comprehend the infinite wisdom of God. We cannot reduce God to something we can explain. The, the day we reduce God to something we can explain, we become gods because we are over God's. They never fought human responsibility in election. Who wrote the book of Acts? You might say Luke, right? This is a nice way of trying to explain this. Who wrote the book of Acts? You say Luke. And I'll say, well, it was the Holy Spirit. Which one is right? Both. Both. The Spirit inspired Luke to write. Yet it wasn't Luke and the Holy Spirit working together, was it? It wasn't a cooperation of sorts. Luke is fully responsible for what he wrote here. It's his own words. It's his own thoughts. It's his own research. And yet, in some paradoxical way, these are not the words of look. What we have in front of us is the word of God. It's the same thing with salvation. The salvation of God? Of course it is. No one would be saved otherwise. Is the responsibility on the decision on what you do with that salvation fully on the person who hears and responds to the gospel 100% that is why if you read the book of Acts we've been reading the book of Acts read through all of the preaching that happens in the book of Acts all of it If because now I need to to kind of push back on those that kind of diminish human responsibility as well read everything in the book of Acts what is the one verb that most often comes In connection with the preaching of the apostles. What is the one verb that most often shows up? And I've mentioned it almost every time we've gone through uh, Paul preaching, Peter preaching, Stephen preaching. What is the one verb? Reasoned. Or persuaded. Why? Because people need to be persuaded. Because there is an element of responsibility. And people are responsible for what they hear and what they do with it. So the, the, let's never let our Calvinism, that's the word for those who perhaps are now from, uh, from di- have come from different theological backgrounds, that's, let's not let our Calvinism devolve into hyper-Calvinism in practice. Reason, persuade, that's why you, when you go out on the, on, on, to your workplace you need to reason and Persuade. Now we'll stop here. But these are the things that God this in next week we will consider another encouragement for Paul. But today I want you want you to know and 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 be encouraged by this. That God is with you, His peace is with you. That He persuades you not to stop. Why? Because his power, his presence is with you. Because you have his promise of protection. Or because you have his uh, preservation. While there is still work to do. And because you have the promise. There are many people. That God has set apart. And we should be excited. Because we are called to bear fruit. You might ask, are we all Christians called to bear fruit? Yes. If you're not here to bear fruit, the Lord would have taken you home by now. There's still more fruit for you to bear. Even if the Lord takes you tomorrow, there's fruit today for you to bear. There's service for you to do today. Every Christian, not just the pastor and the, and the elder, not just those that have been uh, doing the outreach, if the Lord has you here, if you're the Lord's, if you've been saved, and if the Lord still has you here, there is still work for you to do otherwise why would the Lord keep you here if you've done everything you needed to do if there's no more fruit for you to bear then just go you, should have just, you would have just went but that is not the case there is fruit and there is a huge city out there like Corinth in many ways a cesspool my wife showed me a picture of, uh, she took on the way home uh, this week right on the uh, plastered on the, on the front of a closed down shop in our, in our street nudity sexual nudity the, and, and this is coming from someone who doesn't get shocked with these things but even looking at that one in particular I got shocked how that is even uh, put in the, in a the public p- space right outside of Clapham Common where children come up uh, across the street and see that nudity we celebrate sin in this in this culture and we too have the promise don't we we too have the promise of God that there are many in this city that are his this has been the city that has been greatly blessed by the gospel in the past I used to be a member in the church in the in the Highgate or just north of Kentish Town Highgate area and it w- the, the closest uh, tube uh, stop the overground stop was called Gospel Oak and the story is that that, w- that was one of the places where there was this big oak and week after week people would come in in, in Whitfield's day and Wesley's day and preach the gospel And that, or maybe even before Whitfield and Wesley I, I don't remember the date exactly but they, that's why it became known as Gospel Oak. So when you go on the overground and you see Gospel Oak, that is the reason why it's there. Remember the days of, of Whitfield and Wesley? This city was filled with sin just as much as it is today. And they preached the gospel. One time, Whitfield said that he preached at Moorfields. He used to call Moorfield his own congregation. 20,000 people came. His heart was full of love and the people were so melted down on every side. Great numbers were in tears. Not very far from here. Whitfield used to preach in what is today Kennington Park. uh, uh, In those days it was called Kennington Common. They've placed some barriers around and now it's a park. Whitfield preached there to thousands upon thousands. There are people in this city thirsting and hungering for the gospel. So let us talk about Christ. Let us trust him. Let us be encouraged by him. And let us talk about him everywhere we go. How encouraged would you be? And I'll finish by saying this. How encouraged would you be If the next time you're talking about the gospel Christ was standing physically right there by your side physically like literally standing there Christ is there as you're talking oh you would be fired up wouldn't you? You would be eager to preach the gospel you would not fear anything Oh, what if the person rejects I don't care Christ is right here beside me I cannot but speak about him Well, he said to you, hasn't he? I'm with you, always. So speak of him. Prudently, yes. I'm not saying that start being uh, rash and and in tempest. In in tempest? I think I'm mispronouncing it. But you understood. Let's be wise as serpents, and as peaceful as doves. Yes. But let us be of good cheer. Because God says to us, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. May God bless us for Christ's sake.